Thank you for allowing us to uh, slip away last weekend and uh, be with our girls. We had a wonderful time. Uh, I don't know if they needed us so much as we needed them, but uh, we had a great time. They're doing wonderful. And uh, hopefully our goal is to get them home uh, during their October break, so hopefully you'll get to see them uh, next month. Appreciate Nick. He's given some leadership to uh, Picnic in the Park, so... um, it's a wonderful opportunity. I would invite you, what I'm going to do this afternoon is go through my cell phone. I'm going to go through my contact list, and especially those that are not connected to a church, uh, go through them and send them a text. Say, I want to see you at the park. Come just enjoy some fellowship, and let's have a great time uh, together next, next Saturday. Picnic in the park. Preaching the map. Seven points that help us in our own personal journey. I was supposed to be finished with this a couple of weeks ago, but I couldn't preach everything, the last message, so you get uh, point seven point one today, all right? Seven points in our journey, and, and it's helped me in my own walk with God, and I trust it's been a discussion point for you, or maybe you and I still need to have a discussion. But as we look at the map, we talk about Egypt being the first place where we we are in captivity, we're enslaved to sin, but God doesn't want us in Egypt. He wants to deliver us out of Egypt, and so we go through the Red Sea. The Red Sea is the first uh, crisis experience in our life when we give our hearts to Jesus. Baptism in a couple of weeks will be uh, a testimony to that, a life changed. I once was lost, but now I'm found. So Jesus brings us out of Egypt, and, and we claim what he has done for us on the cross. We walk through the Red Sea, and when we get to the other side, We find out that Canaan land, the promised land, is not right there. There's a desert in between. We go to Desert University. Desert University, even Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert. There's a purpose to the desert. There's a purpose to those moments in our lives. We've gotten out of Egypt, but now we want to get Egypt out of us. And so the desert is where we learn how to trust and obey. He leads us to Mount Sinai. He leads us to a place of covenant. He leads us through the wilderness right up to the southern border to a place called Kadesh Barnea. That's point number four. Many people get right up to all that God has for them. And then instead of doing like Joshua and Caleb wanted to do and press into all that God has, the other ten spies convinced them to back away. And many people wimp out. Of all that God has for them. I don't want to. I don't want to wimp out. <laughs> There's consequences to that. As the children of Israel know. They, they would begin doing laps in the wilderness. For every day that the spies were in Canaan. Forty days. There would be a year. Of consequences to their sins. And wandering in the wilderness. Some of the tribes get right up to the Jordan. Right up to the promise. And they, they declare that this Land is good enough for us. You remember some three, uh, half of the tribes, they said, we don't want to go any further. This land is good for us. And I want to just encourage you, don't stop moving forward. Don't stop moving forward into all that God has for you. Six, we come to another crisis experience in the church of the Nazarene. We call this entire sanctification. We 
we call this God has brought us out of Egypt, but now this is the moment where God brings us in. Another moment where we surrender everything to God. My time, my talents, my chip. Lord, I just give my whole life to you. He sanctifies us. He puts, sets us apart for a holy use. Remember, as they came through the Jordan, uh, it was at that moment that Joshua sees someone. And two weeks ago, we talked about possessing the land. We talked about, as we come through the Jordan River, we realize that there's people living on our inheritance the battles are still happening. We still have to possess the land. And so we saw with Joshua, he sees this one and he says, are you for us or against us? And he says, I stand before you as the commander of the Lord's armies. And I, I encourage us to know our commander in chief, to know our battle, know our strategies. We don't fight like normal warfare, do we? Today. I don't want us to just talk about possessing the land. I want us to talk about keeping the victory. Some of us, this is, this is the battle for us. We, we've surrendered everything to God, but we want to keep the victory. Well, we want to keep the inheritance, don't we? Not only spiritual warfare, but spiritual growth. And spiritual growth will be our focus today. The two stages of the Christian life. Let me show you this passage again in Deuteronomy chapter 6. What is the meaning of the testimonies and statutes and rules of our Lord God commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord, say it with me, brought us out. That he might do what? Bring us in to the land that he swore to give to our fathers. God wants us out of the old life of sin. He wants to bring us into a new life of holiness and victory and fruitfulness. I want to be fruitful in my Christian life, don't you? I want to be productive. I want to be highly effective in the kingdom of God. But to do that, you and I are going to have to keep the victory. Let me walk you through a few chapters leading up. Our scripture lesson will be in Judges chapter 2 this morning. But before we get there, two weeks ago we talked about, and thank you, Brother Tory, for helping us and delivering the word last week. Two weeks ago we, we talked about spiritual warfare and the battle of Jericho. At the end of chapter 6, it says these words, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout all the country. But the children of Israel committed a trespass concerning the accursed things. For Achan took of the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. So many times we come off of a spiritual high, we come off of a spiritual victory. And what's the next thing that happens? And I want to talk to you. Notice here, it was one person's sin that affected everybody. Because they get to the next town, the town of Ai. We're going to conquer this land. And Joshua says, you know what? We don't really need the whole army of Israel to do this. It's not, Ai is not that big of a town. Let's just take part of the army. He sends them in and they, they come scurrying back. Quickly, it says it this way, the men were chased back, their hearts melted. 
what's going on, God? You ever felt like that? Joshua chapter 7, Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord into evening. And the elders of Israel, they put dust on their heads. Joshua said, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites? To destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Joshua, are you sure you know what you're saying here, buddy? He's pretty discouraged. He's having a conversation with God. You brought us through the Jordan River just to have us be destroyed by the Amorites? Lord, wouldn't it have been better for us to stay back on the other side? Lord, what am I going to tell the people, what, what am I going to say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? Lord, you got a problem here. They're going to find out that they've been able to defeat us. So, so Lord, you're going to have to do something for your great name. That's a pretty good place to get back to, right? Lord, this is your problem. God, I need your help. Chapter. At the end of that chapter, the casting of lots, it's discovered that the culprit is Achan. He confesses, I took beautiful Babylonian garments. I took some silver and gold. And look, there are consequences to our sins. The judgment prescribed there was stoning of Achan. Don't everybody run the aisles. Chapter 8, Ai is captured and destroyed, so they get the victory over Ai. Chapter 9, the Gibeonites hear about how powerful the children of Israel's army is. and They're not very far away, but they act like they're far away. And they determine they want to make a treaty with the children of Israel. And so they, they act like their bread is, they get moldy bread and they act like they've traveled this long way. And Israelites, we don't want to take you on. We don't want to fight you. Let's just have a treaty right now. I, just look at my shoes. They're worn, my shoes are worn out. I've been traveling so far. Now I've got to. To thinking about this week here you're talking to the israelites been doing laps in the desert for 40 years and talking about coming a long way so the gibbonites come to him and say let's make a treaty and i want you to get this verse because you and i are talking this morning about keeping the victory look here verse 14 chapter 7 the israelites made a treaty but they did not ask counsel of the lord you and i want to keep the victory you got to ask counsel of the Lord. you got to keep going back to the Lord and saying, God, what do you think about this? God, what do you think about this? They messed up. They made a treaty with the Gibeonites because they did not seek the counsel of the Lord. Joshua gives his farewell address. He's trying to bring the people back. He says, you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. Joshua 23, 11, take careful heed to yourselves. Joshua chapter 24. Now therefore fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. It's interesting to me the leader has to keep coming back to this. Even in 
Canaan. He's having to say, put away the gods that your father served in Egypt and on the other side of the Jordan. There's something here about keeping the victory. Joshua and the Holy Spirit want to teach us this morning. Serve the Lord. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Thank God for Joshua who said, I'm going to drive a stake in the ground. Look, get off of this waffling thing. Get off of this wavering thing. You need to choose. As for me and my house, we're going to serve God. Joshua doesn't stick around. Joshua actually passes away. Judges starts off after Joshua died. Now who's going to lead? There were some battles worn. There were some skirmishes. But in Judges 1.28, it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites under tribute, but did not completely drive them out. Warning signs. Amber alert. God says, this is your land. Completely drive them out. This is a problem. God speaks to us and says, this needs to go in your life. Speaks to me, says, this needs to go in your life. Let's don't, let's don't take a shortcut here. They did not completely drive them out. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Judges chapter 2. And we're going to read what's happening. The angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal and said, I led you from Egypt and brought you to the land which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides and your God shall be a snare to you. Their God shall be a snare to you. So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and wept. They called the name of that place Bochum, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went to each to his own inheritance to possess the land. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Now, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was one hundred and ten years old, and they buried him within the border of his inheritance. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, get this, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Now think about this. Has God done some amazing things for Israel? Has God delivered them out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land? Moses' generation doesn't get to go in because of their sin. Joshua, this incredible move of God, they've moved into the promised land. There's been battles, there's been skirmishes. God has blessed. Joshua dies and all that generation with him. And then did you hear what I said? Another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. That blows my mind that that quickly we can forget what God has done. Somebody wasn't keeping the victory. 
Somebody wasn't passing it on to the next generation. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baals and Asherahs. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he delivered them into the hands of plunderers and despoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of the enemies around them. So they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went out into the the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity. As the Lord had said. As the Lord had sworn to them. And they were greatly distressed. You get the picture? Moved into the promised land. But they didn't inquire of the Lord. They made treaties. They didn't put the other gods of the, they didn't put the gods away. And so the Lord's anger was aroused against them. But there, there's a word of grace right here in this next verse, verse 14, 16. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them. God always is going to be looking. If we, if we go back into sin and captivity, He is in the grace business. He is in the delivering business. He's always recalibrating. Okay, how can I get them out of here? How can I? I'm going to send them a judge. I'm going to send them somebody to get them out of this mess again. Hallelujah. He raises up judges. But they played. They would not listen to the judges. They played the harlot with others' gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do so. When the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, delivered them out of the hand of the enemies all the days of the judge, for the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. It came to pass when the judge was dead, they reverted back and behaved more corruptly by following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not cease from their own doings, nor from their own stubborn way. Who is quiet in here this morning? They did not cease from their own doings, nor from their own stubborn way. Now, don't testify for the person next to you. Let's just do our own business with the Holy Spirit this morning. Talking to you about keeping the victory. There's a problem when we stick to our own stubborn ways. When the Holy Spirit keeps bringing stuff back to our minds and remembrance, and we say, no God, no God, no God. How do we keep the victory, Pastor? i got two things I want to suggest to you this morning. We keep the victory by radical obedience and intentional discipleship. We keep the victory by radical obedience and intentional discipleship. Radical obedience. Can you believe God for a no shortcut experience with Him? No secret sins. I gave you the story of Achan. Achan, God had said, don't take anything. Achan takes it. And it impacts the whole congregation. Your sin will impact more than just you. It will impact your family. It will impact those around you. People are watching. No shortcuts. No treaties. No secret alliances. I got to, I was traveling through a, congested area of town and 
traffic was backed up, and I thought I'd take a little shortcut. Guess what? Everybody else in town had thought about the same shortcut. And so I got over there, and I was about to get frustrated, and I was like, you know what? If I turn around, there's going to be traffic back over there. So I'm going to sit here. I said, Lord, give me peace. Give me grace to be nice to everybody. Turn the radio on, and I just enjoyed the ride. No shortcuts. One time, my brother-in-law and I, we he was pastoring in Sulphur, Louisiana, and I was working with him in the print shop, and we decided one morning we'd get some exercise. And so we got up, and we walked, and we walked down Burton. We walked down the highway, walked over to Highway 90. We were getting some exercise right in the morning. We walked right up to a donut shop. We bought a dozen donuts. We walked all the way back to their house and enjoyed our donuts. Kind of defeated the purpose, didn't it? You could argue, say, well, it's better than driving to get the donuts. At least you got a little bit of exercise. Sometimes I wonder in our spiritual walk, we do silly stuff just like that. We think we're taking a shortcut and we end up making a mess out of it. The Spirit of God is saying, I need, I want you to utterly destroy some things. Don't do 90%. Let's go 100%. What about this not seeking the counsel of the Lord? So many times we just do it, and then when we get in a mess, then we run to Jesus. <laughs> we run a, are you, uh, maybe I'm just preaching to myself this morning. Maybe you all got this down already this morning. I'm talking about keeping the victory. They did not seek the counsel of the Lord. Seek the counsel of the Lord. Sometimes he speaks directly right through his word. Get into his word. Sometimes he speaks through his body. I might be walking through it and Tori, God will give Tori a word that will help me in my walk with God. It's not always on Sunday mornings here. That's why you need to be in relationship and connection with other believers in the body of Christ. They did not cease from doing their own doings nor from their own stubborn ways god help us to just be radically obedient to him can i get an amen how about this intentional discipleship what is discipleship discipleship the dictionary says is to be a learner a person who's a pupil or adherent to the doctrines of another one who embraces and assists in spreading the teachings of another any follower of another person Disciple is not a word that we use in contemporary language. If you're around the church, you hear it often. Why? Because it's a biblical term. Jesus talked about this. Go and make disciples. You'll hear phrases like called to be disciples of Christ in the church of the Nazarene. The church of the Nazarene's mission is to make Christ like disciples in the nations. You say, Pastor, that seems a little confusing or intimidating. I don't want it to be. Paul simplified it in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm a disciple of Christ. I'm looking at the life and the pattern of Jesus Christ. I'm doing my best to, to follow Jesus. So why don't you just watch my life? Follow me as I follow Christ. You know, we're always making disciples. The question is, are they Christ-like? <laughs> I made a disciple of Brennan of LSU football without even trying. 
What do you do on Saturday when LSU has a bye week? This was my son yesterday mowing the front yard. I look up and there's a tiger mowing my front yard. Ever since he's been involved in football, they've never beaten Alabama. But Chester, I'm sorry. This may be the year that we take you down, take the tide down. You see what happened? Even without trying. I made him a disciple. I made him a follower of LSU football. Are you with me? There's something far more important than that. Something eternal. A follower. A disciple of Jesus Christ. Christ's final command to his followers were go therefore and make what? Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth. Even to the end of the age. Go and make disciples. Intentional discipleships. There's something that happened, and as as much as I love Joshua as as a powerful of a leader as he is, there was a shortcoming in the succession plan of his life because another generation rose up who did not know what God had done. Somewhere in their lives, they forgot to tell some things. God help us. Discipleship is being changed from the inside. Important distinction with Christian discipleship is that we're not only called to learn the teachings of Jesus Christ, we're also called to live them. A disciple who bases his life on the teachings of Christ, it's like building a house on a firm foundation. Jesus talked about that. We make our initial declaration of faith and ask Jesus Christ to be our Savior. He'll begin changing us from the inside, giving us an ability to understand his word and the desire to live it. Not only to learn, but to live it. Don't only be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Here's a few examples of how God changes us from the inside. And that word intentional, you get that, right? I mean... That means just taking, I'm going to make this a priority in my life, and I'm going to do this on purpose. So what's some examples of the way we are changed from the inside? As we read God's Word, God's Word is one. We learn about Jesus and how He lived. We begin to understand what it means to be like Jesus. We've learned to put Him first in all things. Seek first the kingdom of God. We can be changed from the inside by reading God's Word. Another way, we become equipped to listen to the Holy Spirit who lives within us. He helps us resist temptations. He helps us overcome trials. Ephesians, put on the whole armor of God as we talked about two weeks ago. You want to keep the victory? Well, don't try to keep the victory without getting dressed in the armor of God. Listening to the Holy Spirit. We learn how to examine our thoughts, our actions, and our words, always comparing them with scriptures. Again, be doers of the word and not hearers only. James 1.27, we begin to understand what it means to abide in Christ. As we abide in Christ, the Holy Spirit produces fruit in our lives. And what is that fruit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. As we 
intentionally follow the Lord and he changes us from the inside. We are walking in the spirit and that's what the spirit produces in our lives as opposed to walking in the flesh and the works of the flesh. They're outburst of anger, adultery and all kinds of immorality. We start loving other people through action. We long to share our faith with others and tell other believers about the changes Jesus has made in our lives. Those are examples of changing us from the inside. There's another definition that I like of discipleship. It's a simple one that says discipleship is one beggar telling another beggar where the good stuff is. This is the good stuff. He's the good stuff. So that's telling, and I'm a beggar too, but it's one beggar telling another beggar, here's where you get the good stuff. Over six years, data was collected from over a quarter million people, well over a thousand churches, every size, denomination, and geographic area. And these researchers in the book called Move, they said here is the number one indicator of spiritual growth. You want to know what it is? Daily interaction with the Word. Show me a person, a man or a woman that is daily interacting with the Word, and I'll show you a Christian who is growing in their faith. More than prayer, more than tithing, more than acts of kindness and charity, and those are all wonderful, godly things, and we should do them. But the number one indicator of spiritual growth is daily interaction with the Word. One of the purposes of the local church is to foster growth. Our mission statement at Nouvelle is that we exist to help people find and follow Christ who makes all things new. So this word, this following part is where we help one another discover what Jesus is saying to us and how we can have our lives be more Christ-like. I wish everybody could answer these two questions this morning who is discipling you and who are you discipling? Now, this is where the rubber meets the road. I'm thankful for the crisis experiences where we give everything to Jesus. We come through the Red Sea. I'm thankful for the, the entire sanctification where God sanctifies us holy and sets us apart for a holy use. I'm, I praise God for those moments. But we come into the Canaan land, we come into the promised land, into awe, and there's spiritual warfare. You want to keep the victory? <laughs> you got to be in relationship with the Word of God, and you need some people to be helping you do that. As your pastor, I submit myself a couple of meetings a week where I have other people pouring into my life, listening into my life, asking me how it's going with my wife and my kids and my church, and asking me the hard questions. Daily, I spend time with Jesus, and I allow Jesus to disciple me. Just this morning, as I was in reading in Luke, and I, I read the exchange where Jesus is talking to Peter, and he knows Peter's getting ready to deny him, but he says, Simon, I have prayed for you. I just had to stop right there. I got overwhelmed that Jesus was praying for Dale. 
He's praying for you today. He would love nothing better than to see you grow in your walk and in your in your faith. Who's discipling you? If you can't answer that question, I, I, I'm begging you. <laughs> I'm begging you to, to talk to me or to talk to another individual in this, in this congregation. And let's get you in, into a small group or into a one-on-one exchange. Who's discipling you? That's why I get up a couple of mornings early, 5.30, be here at 5.30 on Wednesday. And, and you can join me here in person. You can join by Zoom. Men, that's designed for men. It's, a, it's the intentional to help each other follow Jesus. If I take an hour with every one of you individually, I can't do it. There's not enough hours in the day and not enough hours in the week, but doing it together we can. We take advantage even of tech, technology. I'm asking you, this is where the rubber meets the road this morning. If you're going to grow in your faith, if you're going to keep the victory, if you're going to seek the counsel of the Lord, if you're not going to make a treaty with the gods of this world, you're going to have to be in relationship and interacting with the Word, and you're going to have to be in relationship with other believers. Who is discipling you? I want, I beg God to have every one of you answer that question. Who's discipling you? And then the next question is, who are you discipling? It's, this discipleship is not just we, we get all the knowledge and we stop. No, we're, we're to go and make disciples. We pass it on. Parents, the natural place that we make disciples is in the home. That's our primary responsibilities. Did you get that verse that another generation rose up who did not know what God had done? The only way we can protect against that is go back to Deuteronomy chapter three, uh, 6 and the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall love your neighbor. And then he goes on to say, you need to repeat these things. <laughs> you need to talk about them when you're walking down the road or when you're driving in your car. When you're sitting around your dinner table, you need to talk about it. And the enemy will do everything in his power to keep you from doing that. It's a challenge. And we got out of certain routines when the girls, but we had, there's three of us now instead of five of us now. And God's helping us. This is, if you want to see yourself grow, if you want to see your family grow, you've got to be daily interacting with the Word and praying. We pray. God, make our home sanctuaries of the presence of God. Dads, I'm appealing to you. Take the lead. Get your family into the word and pray. Discipleship, making disciples in the home. It's a laboratory of all that God wants to do. Homes where we learn to obey authority. Don't let the children run the home. You're the parent. Run the home. Ooh, that's better preaching than you're saying amen. Are you with me? See, the kids don't know about the Gibeonites. They don't have the ability to recognize that this could be this could be a, a sneak attack on us. No, 
We're the adults. We're the ones seeking God. We're the ones going to the Lord in prayer and asking him to show us. I've got a phrase, a paragraph here from Oswald Chambers. The true expression of Christian character is not in good doing, but in God-likeness. If the Spirit of God has transformed you from within, you will exhibit divine characteristics in your life, not just human characteristics. God's life in us expresses itself as God's life, not as human life trying to be godly. The secret of a Christian's life is that the supernatural becomes natural in him as a result of the grace of God. And the experience of this becomes evident in the practical everyday details of life. As you and I interact with God, the supernatural becomes the, and we become like God. Not just good for us. Is he's not wanting us to be good per he's wanting us to be God persons. I want to keep the victory. I want you to keep the victory. And but it's going to require some radical obedience. It's going to have some attune to the Holy Spirit to know when the enemy is he's trying to devour. He's trying to deceive us. He'll do everything to throw us off our game. This is my prayer for you today after first Peter five. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. Christians, listen up. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. We don't really have any sufferings, do we? I prayed for the church in Cuba today that God would would bless them and our brothers and sisters around the world. But may the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you've suffered a while. I claim this for you today. Perfect you, establish you, strengthen you and settle you to him be the glory and the dominion forever and forever. May God establish you. May God settle you. Here's the call to you this morning. I want you to be able to answer that question. Who are you discipling? And who's discipling you? God has got a call today to radical obedience. And there's a call to intentional discipleship. And so I'm going to open the altars. I'm going to invite you to come pray. But there's even a commitment I want you to do right there in your chair. If you cannot answer those two questions... I'm begging you under the leadership of the Holy Spirit today because I want to see everybody grow in their walk with God. But you're going to have to be willing to open up your hearts to intentional discipleship and and to more involvement of the Spirit of God in your life if you're going to keep the victory. So many people, they, they resist this this opportunity. And my friends, it's like a yo-yo. <laughs> we're up in our spiritual walk and we're down. God's got victory for us. He's got a life of fruitfulness and holiness and just taking over and possessing the land and walking in holiness and fruitfulness. And that's what I want for my life and that's what I want for your life. I want you to stand with me this morning. If God's speaking to your heart and you just need to do business with God and you say, Lord, you put... 
You've put something on my heart this morning and I want to be obedient to you. You just want to respond to that this morning. I'm asking you just to step forward and let me pray for you this morning. Maybe he's dealing with you at something about the home. And today you're going to make a commitment to a table discipleship today. Any commitments you want to make to God this morning. Let's, let's just be real with God. Let's be authentic before him today. Anybody else want to pray this morning? to pray a prayer of faith with you this morning. Lord Jesus, we want to be fruitful in walking with you. I'm so thankful for grace that is poured out in our lives. Lord, even in our rebellion, even when we turn away, you raise up. Nevertheless, you bring a judge. You bring someone into our lives to call us back to you. And I thank you for the Spirit of God that is calling us back to you today. Calling us to radical obedience, oh God. Oh God, there's so much going on in the world. There's so much... 
confused. There's so many things clamoring for our attention. But I pray, God, just a fresh wind of your spirit over my people today. God, over this congregation that we would hear the voice of the Lord. That we would be radically obedient to you, O oh God. God, I pray for a new wave of intentional discipleship, God. Lord, a passion for the Word, a passion for spending time with You. Help us to rediscover where our chair is, God, the place where we regularly meet with God. God, then I pray for a new wave of intentional discipleship in the home, whether it's in the living room, it's around the dinner table, it's going down the street. God, help us to talk about things that are eternal. Help us to repeat what God has done. Lord, I pray for the next generation. Lord, I release, God, that they would... God, I release that they would know you better than we have, that they would be more passionate in following you. God, I think about, Lord, I want my children to teach me about you, God. I want them to be so on fire for you that they teach me things about you, God, and they help me learn to be more like you, oh God. Make it so for the next generation and the generation after that and the generation after that, God. Thank you for your presence with us today. And now may the God of peace sanctify us through and through. And as it is prayed there in 1 Peter 5, may you establish us. May you strengthen us. May you settle us. In the strong and mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Go in his peace. Invite someone to meet you at Pitnik in the park. If you're not able to vote October 12th, go early vote. If you need to know how to vote, ask me and I'll tell you.